for him to come, right? He said, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. I'm going to do this again. I, I like getting close down here. Thank you. It's amazing because uh, most of the day, this morning especially, the Lord had me in a place. Uh, I've been studying and I've preached messages on it in the 30 years I've been preaching. And uh, it's nothing like, it, it's, it's kind of like he keeps adding and opening up the deeper revelations of what he wants us to know. It's, it's amazing because what I had in my heart, I, my prayer this year has been, Holy Spirit, teach me. Help me not to be held captive by the mindset that's contrary to the will of the Father. Because there's a lot of people who are. There's a lot of people who are held captive by things they believe. I, I think that there's a liberty and a freedom that the Holy Spirit wants to bring to us, to bring us into a place where it becomes such a hunger. Heard Pastor Ron said that a lot of people are not hungry because they're too full. <laughs> you have to empty yourself. And I pray the Lord would help me to empty myself of all the husk of the world, everything that would hinder me from being filled with himself. And, and so with that, Brother John sent me a, he sent me a Hebrew word uh, weekly and periodically, and they're amazing because we know that the King James was written in the 1600s, and I know a lot of people are really stuck in the King James, but you understand that the Bible is pointing to a person. It's about a person. And I'm grateful for the Word of God, but, you know, in the 1600s, uh, King James had 15 rules for the translators. And so some of those rules were, and we know that English is, is very weak when it comes to the Hebrew because it, it would take six English words to define a Hebrew word. So I want to I take you to Exodus chapter 12. And all of those who are tuned in by live stream, welcome, welcome, welcome. We're so glad you're here. Welcome to all of you who are here in person. I'm grateful. And I don't take it lightly that you've come together together. And uh, so he, Exodus chapter 12, this is... 40 years, actually 80 years. It was 80 years. Moses is 80. Let's, let's read the first few verses. The Lord said to Moses, now that word Lord is better Yahweh. Yahweh. It's actually I am. The I am, I am said to Moses, that's who he revealed himself to Moses in chapter 3. I am Yahweh. And Aaron in the land of Egypt. 
This month shall be to you the beginning of months, the first month of the year to you. This is the Amplified Classic. Till all the congregation of Israel on the 10th day of this month, they shall take every man a lamb or a kid according to the size of the family of which he is the father, a lamb or kid for each house. Now he goes from a lamb to the lamb to your lamb, if you read the narrative as it unfolds. And we know that when he said this is the beginning of months, when we think about this new year, we, we've all said it. It's on the sign out there, Happy New Year. And when I, when I think of New Year's resolutions, a lot of people don't know that that really originated. It's really pagan to make a new re- year. I'm going to change. Come on, somebody. I'm going to change. I'm going to start going to the gym or I'm going to eat different. I'm going to be a better person. It's very self-centered. And it's, it's, it's based upon our own effort. But I believe when you read this, and he says this is the beginning of months, it, it is much more. As a matter of fact, this is really the beginning of days. The beginning, of the, the beginning of something that has never been. We know that the only Bible the Israelites had was a paragraph. Abraham, I'm going to bless you. And all the nations of the earth will be blessed. I'm gonna bless, I will bless all the families of the earth. I'll curse who curses you and I'll bless who blesses you. That's, that's all they had but they, they believed it and they didn't see it because of the distraction of the pain of slavery. Now we know that Joseph went down. There were 70 people. When Jacob came from and all the patriarchs, there were 70 people starting out. Well, God said, I'm going to multiply you. Father Abba Yahweh said, I'm going to multiply you. And this is a time when they began to multiply to the point that it was, it was so scary to the Egyptians. They said, we better enslave them. They're, out, they're going to take over our nation, our country, if we don't put them in, because they're outnumbering us. That's the blessing of the Father. That's right. That's right. They were, they were not only blessed, they were protected. But I want you to notice something. They, were, they put them into slavery, made them make... You can go to London, England. There's a museum there where you can find the bricks that they made out of mud. They were so enslaved that they were in the mud pits. Many don't know that some of them would fall in the mud pit and drown. That They were just abused tremendously. And so they were beaten. They were deprived and we know Exodus 3 the Lord says something Yahweh says something that is amazing he said I've seen the affliction of my people I've heard their cry and I've come down to deliver them 
with a mighty strong arm. Brother John. April. So he's changing their calendar, shifting their calendar six months. Absolutely. Changing the cal- God is changing the times because it's so significant. This is in April when this is going on, and he tells them to take a lamb because there's been nine miracles already. Now, let me tell you something about Moses. When um, Pharaoh's daughter heard the cry of the baby, Pharaoh had already put out a decree to kill all the Hebrew boys. But what, what was Pharaoh? Pharaoh's daughter probably knew that. But she, she wasn't like her father. She drew him out of the water and gave him a name akin to drawing him out. Mishu, it's Moses, drawn out. And he's raised as a baby beside Pharaoh's, the Pharaoh of that time's baby boy named Ramses. Moses would have been the prince who was in line to take the throne after Ramses. But Hebrews said he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, not fearing the wrath of the king. Why? Because somewhere he was taught about the blessing and about God. He was taught about the I am. He was taught about the blessing and the covenant keeping God. So we know that Moses is on the backside of the, he flees for his life. You know, here's what he does. He tries to deliver Israel prematurely because he sees them being abused by the Egyptian and he knows that, that they're his people. So, he even comes out of Pharaoh, the palace to live among the people. And so he kills the Egyptian, hides him in the sand, and now his picture is on every wanted poster in every post office. And he's running for his life because Pharaoh's got a contract out on him to kill him. He's running for his life to the backside of the desert. He's 40 years old. He's in the desert for 40 years. And when God tells him to go tell Pharaoh to let my people go, we know the story how that Moses really questioned his identity. And God never really answered uh, Moses when he said, who am I? God said, it's not really about who you are. You're going to discover who you are when you know who I am. Come on, our identity is wrapped up in our relationship with the Father. He never answered that question. He, he just told him, I am that I am. And Moses never questioned that again. I want you to notice that. When you come into that kind of relationship with the Father, you know who you are. Here's the problem with Israel. They're about to discover their identity because they're enslaved. They have a slave mentality. That's what's been happening for 430 years to the day. But when Moses goes into Pharaoh, Moses doesn't look like a prince. He looks and smells like a shepherd. And the Egyptians despised shepherds. They, they despised them. Probably smelled a little bit because he'd been hanging around the sheep. 
But God had to get all of Egypt out of him so he could get him into the place where he could use him. Come on, the Lord sometimes has to get all this stuff. I know for me, he's had to get some of Egypt out of me so that he can do that deeper work in my life. And Moses comes to Pharaoh and he says, Yahweh says, me to tell you to let my people go. And Pharaoh scoffs and said, who is Yahweh? Who is the Lord? Who is this God that I should listen to him? Well, Father says, I'll show you who I am. And the next, here's what is going to happen. Do you do understand every miracle was targeting one of the demon, and they're not just gods, they're demon gods. They're influenced by demonic activity and they're groups of demons. They're, the, the, the Egyptians would pray to the Nile River. <clears throat> they would go out and pray to the Nile River as a god. And, and so the crocodile was sacred. If you stepped on a frog, you were executed because they worship frogs. Come on, you understand the plague of the frogs. God said, I'm going to cause frogs to be sitting with you at the table. They're going to be in bed with you. And, and they had a problem because if they stepped on one, they could be executed. <laughs> God's targeting every demon God, bringing them to nothing. It, why would he turn the Nile River into blood? Dead, I'm talking about, de- I'm not talking about fresh blood, dead blood. Thank you, Timothy. Why would it, it was dead blood. It was stinking because he's targeting every demon god absolutely absolutely so we know the all the plagues were targeting the demon gods and so the last one is right here in exodus 12 The Lord said, this is the final one. And he said, I want you to take a lamb for a house. It was a year old. And they would take, he said, if the house is too small for the lamb, let more than one family eat the lamb. And he said, this is what I want you to do. Keep it till the 14th day of the same month and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill his lamb in the evening. Take the blood and put it on the two side posts and the lintel over the door space and they shall eat the Passover lamb. Now, they, they didn't have kitchens. So they wrote, think there's about 3 million Jews, Israelites. There's probably 3 million. Think about all of these houses and the, these places in Goshen where the smell of lamb is wafting over Egypt over the Nile River, even into the palace. I love lamb. I was in Israel. We were in Israel and in an Arab restaurant, Arab-owned, and delightful man gave us a, a, a lamb kebab. It was, it was amazing. I had to have two of them. And uh, it, w- it was so good. But here's what the Lord said. The Lord told him, he said, I want you to eat it. They had to roast it outside, so... Eat it with your shoes on your feet, your staff in your hand. Eat it with the coat on. Don't sit at the table. Eat it standing up. Why? Because get ready. You're moving. 
And so we know that they're eating the lamb. Now, I want you to think about this. They're not the only ones. Theologians, historians tell us the Egyptians, some of, the, some of them fled and defected from Egypt and said, we're, we're forsaking those gods. We want to be around you. So there was more of some of the Egyptian families would come in the house as well, covered by the blood. And so they knew what was going on. So, so we know that that night, the Lord said, I'm going to pass over the land and smite every firstborn. And including the house of Pharaoh, every firstborn of Egypt, where the blood wasn't over the doorpost, we know the firstborn died. And so they were delivered. That night, Pharaoh said, get, get out get out. And they went out laden with the wealth of Egypt. But the beautiful part is they're full of lamb. Now the lamb is in them. Jesus said in John 17, in that day, you're going to know that I'm in the father and that you are in me and I am in you. He said, eat the whole lamb. Now you understand the significance of that because it's going to bring a wholeness and healing because they ate the lamb. And not one feeble one among them, Psalm 105 says, they went out laden with the wealth of Egypt. But a beautiful part is 1,500 years they sacrificed lambs. They knew till the day John the Baptist is in the river baptizing and Jesus comes down that 17 miles outside of Jerusalem. And he looks up and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he said, behold, the Lamb of God. The significance of that, they knew what it meant. All the, the Jewish people knew because they had celebrated this Passover for 1,500 years. They knew what it meant. But this is... Now, now, let's go back to Exodus 12. Do you understand when he said this is the beginning? This is unlike anything you've ever experienced. This is the beginning of month. This is a brand new year, a brand new season. Now, you're coming out exactly. So, I want to take you I think it only fitting that I share some of the notes that Brother John shared with me. There's a word. Mitzariim is the word for Egypt. That's a Hebrew word. Mitzariim is the name of one of Noah's sons, a grandson. Ham, youngest son. Egypt, Mitzariim. Now, I want you to notice something else. Jewish tradition is fixed on this exodus, Egypt. They commemorate it. And when you think about this exodus, it shows up repeatedly in the Torah over and over. In the five books of the law, it shows up over and over and over. And, and it's significant. 
That's, ama that's amazing because we know they're to the descendants. And, and so the, the specific mitzvah, Brother John mentioned, it, it was, it's something they do to remember the Exodus every single day for the Jewish person that's really uh, strict in, the, in Judaism, in, in the law, and the Torah. So, so why does this event that occurred over 3,000 years ago still so significant? Let me tell you, it's significant for us. Because as they came out, we came out. When they went through the Red Sea, we went through the Red Sea. Because this is a picture of all humanity, the Father's heart toward all of humanity. Now, Israel was God's, cho it was God's chosen people, but I thank God for Israel. We are spiritual Israel now. And we've been adopted as sons and daughters now. So when you think about this, according to, why do they keep returning to this particular trauma of the past? Why does the Israelites keep returning? It's because there's, according to the Kassidic teaching, now Kassidic, a Kassid is a strict teacher or Orthodox Jew that's based in the Torah, the law. But there's some really good, amazing things in here that we won't find through the English translations that is so strong in the Hebrew that I think is significant. It's, he says, this is what Brother John sent me. It's like all parts of the Torah, the Exodus is not just an isolated episode from ancient history. Rather, it's a perpetually relevant paradigm for life in the present. As our sages teach, in every generation, and indeed every day, one is obligated to see themselves as if they had personally left Egypt. Egypt and the Exodus thus exist within the Jewish psyche, not only as a particular geographic location and historic event, but also as a state of mind and a central focus of self-awareness. To understand this more deeply, let's go down to Egypt for a moment. The Hebrew word for Egypt, we talked about, Metzarim. It's made up of the same Hebrew letters as the word Metzarim. M-E-I-T-Z-A-R-I-M, which means limitations. It symbolizes the area of our lives where we feel stuck or constricted. And in a personal sense, the exodus from Egypt implies an internal process of liberation moving us beyond our own emotional, psychological, and physical limitations, which are often self-imposed. That's why I pray, Holy Spirit, unravel what I've self-imposed upon myself because of what I've wrongly believed. That doesn't mean that I'm a heretic. Come on, some people might call me that. But I'm telling you, I'm in such a place of great liberty and freedom. I'm excited about where the Lord has us because think about this. The first step out of such internal bondage is the recognition and acknowledgement that our circumstances and capabilities are not fixed and that a different reality is always possible. Let me get up and run. <laughs> Remember what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4.18? He said, while we look not at the things that are seen, for they're temporal, 
Don't fix your focus and be moved by what you see. But be moved by what you know you don't see. Come on, you understand what you don't see is what you believe. It's, it's what you see by faith according to Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That's it. Woo. So, for example, in the 1990s, this is really cool. Until recently, most psychologists, my son's a psychologist. I'm going I'm to talk to him about this. Believe that willpower was a limited resource. Do you understand New Year's resolutions is, is fueled by willpower? So they believe that willpower was a limited resource that's subject to fatigue and is depleted with repeated use. I can testify to that. So experiments consistently demonstrated the veracity of this hypothesis until a new study showed that the, those previous observations held true only for those who already believed that willpower was limited. Here's why. Those with a growth mindset never exhib exhibited any signs of dwindling self-control or motivation regardless of how much willpower they exerted in working towards their goal. Those with a growth mindset. Now, let me tell you how many times grow is mentioned in the scripture. I got to stand up for this. Grow is, I'm going to just list two. Ephesians 1.17. Paul said, I pray to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ that you be filled with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Increasing in the knowledge. Grow, the, the word is grow in the knowledge of God. Now, I'm, I'm always going to be doing that. Because if you keep that growth mindset, let me tell you, you'll never be fatigued and you'll never get weary from following after and, and being hungry for the things of God if you keep that growth mindset. Here's another place, Colossians 1.10. It don't mean you won't ever get tired. You won't ever have issues and situations, circumstances. It just means they can't stop you. You're not in that Egypt mentality. Colossians 1.10. That you walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work. How? Because the Holy Spirit in our lives produces the fruit. It's, it's, it's a given. Increasing in the knowledge of God. That word increasing is grow in the knowledge of God. I can take you to the places where it says grow in grace. Grow in love. Grow in love. You, you understand, when we understand, when, when we receive the love that we're... this. This is amazing because understanding beloved identity is so key because when you understand how much you're, there's nothing, he's not looking for performance and he's not looking for perfection. He knows me. <laughs> Come on, you know what he's looking for? Permission. <laughs> he's knocking on the door. Revelation 320. I'm knocking on the door. I'm looking for permission. We got we to gotta receive 
Somebody said, well, I received the Lord when I was, I understand that thinking, but I want, I want to tell you something about Exodus. And I want to tell you something about Jesus. The fact is, he received us. And the lights came on. Here's what Colossians 3.1 says. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sits. For you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. Sounds almost like a contradiction. That No, he's talking about the flesh. Brother, me and Brother John talked about that. The Egypt is also a symbol of the flesh. You got to be dead to the flesh. Absolutely. Seek those things which are above. Does that mean I have to go there? No, according to Paul in Ephesians 2 6, we've been raised up and made to sit together with him. If he's in me, Christ in you, the hope of glory, I don't have to go anywhere. To get his, there's nothing I need to convince him of either. Come on. There's nothing I have to do to convince God of, of how much he needs to love me <laughs> or what he needs to do for me. Nothing. All I got to do is, is, now, let me tell you something else. You ever, I, I've lived this. Lord, I just need faith. I need you to help me to grow in faith. He said, well, I want to I help you with Galatians 2.20. Now, you understand when I said that when they came out of Egypt, we did too. We came through the Red Sea, we did too. When Jesus, do you know that we are co-crucified with Christ? We are co-buried with Christ. We are co-resurrected with Christ. We co-ascended with Christ. Now, let me give you scripture for it. Galatians 2.20, Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I'm living, but it's not me living. It's Christ living in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. No, no I'm, not, I'm not living by my faith. I'm living by his faith. I, my faith is in his faith. My faith is in what he believes about me. Come on, you understand? When, when we come to the place where our faith becomes, uh, we become to believe what, that, that he believes about us, here's what he says. And remember Isaiah 62, 4? No longer are you going to be called abandoned, forsaken. That's not going to be who you are. I'm going to give you a new name. It's Hephzibah. My delight is in you. So do we believe God is love? Do we believe we're lovable? Let me tell you something. He does. He believes you're lovable because he's love. He can never be anything other than love. Now we know that he's just, he's good and all of that, but, but he is love. And, and when you understand that truth, then you begin to see, I pray, Lord, help me see myself like you see me. Then there's all the trappings of religion, all the trying, trying to willpower. 
It just, I don't have to try that anymore because my willpower is based on my growth mentality that I'm growing in the Lord. And every situation I'm at now, hang on just a minute. Let me move on. I'm, I'm, I don't want to go down rabbit trails or anything, but this is good. Those with a growth mindset never exhibited any signs of dwindling self-control or motivation. Regardless of how much willpower they exerted in working towards their goal, this supports the idea that the beliefs we bring to a particular situation have the power to either create self-imposed boundaries or to break down the walls of exist, existing assumptions. Paul, in prison, Philippians 4, chained between the Roman soldiers as he's writing on the, on the papyrus, on the parchment, listening to the clanking of the chains. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Verse 19, But my God shall supply all your needs according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. You understand that the beauty of this mindset is like the saying, you've heard it. This is in this, Brother John sent me, I love it, and I've heard this before, you've heard it. Whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what they're falling for. That's it. That's why that New Year's resolutions... 99% of the time does not work. Uh, I know for a fact. It's, it's important to know. So this perspectival elasticity is the words. The quality of emotional receptivity is also crucial to the Exodus story. For instance, the Hebrew letters of the name Pharaoh, you, want, you can write this down who enslaved the Jewish people in Egypt for 430 years. The pharaohs were, they were not good people. Who enslaved the Jewish people. You can rearrange the spelling in their names and you have Oreph, O-R-E-P-H, which means, uh, it it's, means neck. So in the Jewish mystical sources, the narrow channel of the neck represents a precarious place of potential constriction and blockage between the mind and the heart. How many know that it's not, this relationship is not head knowledge? It's heart knowledge. Something that, we, that comes through here, that's why he said be renewed in the spirit of your mind is because we have to have the right growth mindset. And he goes on to say, healthy people generally form emotional reactions to acquired knowledge and understanding, which is what motivates them to act and change. Pharaoh is stuck. Remember God said to Moses, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. He's going to be stiff-necked. He's stuck. His heart is impenetrable. amazing absolutely 
It reminds me of the guillotine in in France during the French Revolution. Do you understand? They executed 17,000 people, including children. And 10,000 died in prison because of the French Revolution. And here was one of their main goals. They wanted to eradicate any resemblance of God. And so they decided the first thing they went after was a seven-day week because God created everything in six days and rested on the seventh day. First thing they came after, they said, let's change it to 10 days. Can you imagine the watchmakers? They, they had to make longer minutes and shorter seconds. And, and, and actually, people went insane. So they had to revert back to God's order. And so we're living in a time when people are, they're really trying to change the paradigm of, of, of the way God set things in motion that, that work. And we see this in this. So the blockage is reflected in the Torah's description of Pharaoh's heart. It's the only mention where it's called hardening. Uh, it's, a, it's an expression that's found and that refers to no one else in the scripture but Pharaoh. So his inflexibility, despite witnessing the 10 plagues, which brought Egypt to its knees, remind us of Earl Landgreeb's quip of the Watergate hearings. He said, don't confuse me with the facts. I've already made up my mind. <laughs> it, it's, it, you know, there's a lot of people in religion, same thing. And, and I always want to be pliable for, this is my prayer, Holy Spirit, keep my spirit, keep me right, keep my spirit right. Don't let me be deceived, but teach me truth, because it's the truth that makes us free. So in contrast, Pharaoh's daughter, Batia, I never knew her name till Batia, B-A-T-Y-A, was moved by the cry of an endangered infant in the Nile River. She couldn't stand by and face the injustice. In violation of her father's genocidal decree, she retrieved the Israelite baby from the water and called him Moshe, Moses, because she drew him out. Moses was emotionally impacted by this, these injustices as well. We've talked about that. So he was going to be the political opponent, not just the political opponent of Pharaoh. He was also going to be his psycho-spiritual nemesis if you could use that term, because his mission to bring the Jewish people out of Mitzrayim, Egypt, represents our personal struggle to liberate our soul potentially from the grips of our own Mitzrayim constrictions. You ever felt like there were constrictions? And I'm telling you that sometimes it's, it's painful when the Holy Spirit begins to unravel some things that have been here. I remember one day this past week, it was really painful. And, and it seemed like I felt the pressure and the darkness was trying to encroach. And, and I just began to pray. And I said, Lord, this is not what I was born for. This is not what you, you redeemed me for. So I just receive all of your victory and freedom I'm telling you, it didn't last long. It was over. And, and so now with this growth mindset, Brother John. That's what all this is about. Yeah. 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 Y
That's it. That's it. The, the children of Israel were about to find out their identity. They didn't know that. At, do what? The feast day. It's about identity, who we are. That was my problem for a lot of years is identity. Knowing that we are the beloved of the Father. Knowing that he, he is, you know, goes on to say in Isaiah 62, 4, I'm no longer going to call your land unfruitful or barren. But I'm going to call it Beulah, which means married. That means he's married to our journey. There's never a moment you're separated. And there's never a moment. There's, there's moments when our minds may not be clear. But, but there's, mo- there's, and there's moments when we feel the pressures and we feel the struggle. But I'm telling you that God wants us to begin to understand that we live in a broken world, right? I've, I've done three funerals in December. On the way home Sunday, I heard my wife told me the guy that taught me how to fly airplanes passed away the day after Christmas and his memorial was on Sunday. I didn't know about it, but I just did his, I, I, I talked to him last summer. He, he came and several times he came over and, and I live on, our, the house we're on was built on part of their, their family uh, plot that was sold. It's amazing. And uh, so I'll never forget the impact. I trusted him immensely. I would go flying with him and he, he would turn the airplane. He would have me turn the airplane off and do power off stalls and all that stuff and scare the liver out of you. And, uh, but, but we always recovered. And uh, he was teaching me how to get out of an unusual attitude. I knew that. But boy, in life like that, Lord, teach me how to get out of unusual attitudes so that I'm not caught up in the mentality. Can I have just a few more minutes? So when you think about the overarching theme of escaping our limitations, and we all feel those at times, we feel limited. I I told a young man, you know, I still counsel every Tuesday and told a young man yesterday, first time I ever met him, I said, you know, I'm 68, I don't have anything to prove. He just laughed. And because he had, he had lived his life trying to prove to people what he believed about himself. And I said, you don't have to do that. I said, you, you don't need to live trying to convince others of who you are. You get in the Word and you find out who you really are. I'm, I'm telling you, the floodgates opened at one point because it was just more than me in the room, right? And, and it began to reach his heart. I, I prayed for him and he's just, a, it's amazing how the Lord will bring us into those places. So when, when you look at this miraculous episode of splitting the sea, this notion that many of the obstacles that we perceive as impossible and impassable, not really. They're not really because they're not unsurmountable and, and they can be overcome by what faith? 
Now, faith in a person, not just faith in faith, faith in a person, faith in what he believes about me. He said in Isaiah, here's a covenant promise. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. Every tongue that rises against you in judgment, you'll condemn. For this is the inheritance of the servants of the Lord. For your righteousness comes from me, saith the Lord. Man. So if Egypt represents the tyranny of self-limiting beliefs and behaviors, the ex- I'm not talking about pride and arrogance. I'm talking about such a humility in knowing that when he looks at us, he sees his image. Because from Adam... We're born with the image. And so what is he? He wants to restore that identity, that image. So think about this. So we return to the story of the liberation from Egypt. I preached it many, many Januaries, the beginning of months. But this year it has such a deeper, more passionate, feel for me and I hope it does for you because this is my prayer we got to never stop striving and now when I say strive I'm not talking about trying to get there but to come to the revelation that we're free because Jesus here's what Jesus said John 8 32 you'll know the truth and the truth shall make you free whoever the son sets free verse 36 is free indeed so this is what it means in Jewish thought Egypt is not merely a geographical location, but also a limited state of mind that we have to continually try to transcend and leave behind because nothing shall be impossible to them that believe. Come on, you understand. I I had a man write me. I hung cabinets for this guy with subcontracting and walked in and he started writing the check. He said, I don't even know why I'm writing this to you this much. I thought, I do. <laughs> I, I do. I know exactly why. And, and so, so a businessman, I won't leave you with this, was becoming close to Kabod. We talked about the, the Jewish Orthodox uh, teacher and the belief, and it means to be pious. Told this guy named Luba Victor Rebbe. He said, I don't see myself growing a beard, too late, or wearing Cassidic garb. Is there still a way I can call myself your Cassid? It's like a disciple. The Rebbe replied with a smile, anyone who wakes up each morning and asks himself, how can I become better today than I was yesterday and better tomorrow still? I'm happy to call my disciple. Now, when you, when you look at that, I think about how important the exodus is for us because we see the heart of the Father. We see the heart of the Father in all that transpired because He comes against everything that would hinder them from walking out. He comes against every demon God Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Do you understand? We have nothing to fear from demons. They're more afraid of us than we are of them. 
You don't, if you could see in the Spirit how many times they run for cover when you walk in, you know why? Because it's Christ in us. And we are His representative in the earth and we have authority in the name of Jesus. We have nothing to fear because perfect love casts out fear, right? I love you dearly. You're so precious. I want you to stand with me and, uh, and we're gonna pray. Before I do that, I wanna ask you, maybe the Lord said something to you during this teaching that really has encouraged you or something that you receive revelatory, maybe that you wanna share. I wanna give you the moment, a moment to do that. It's okay. Brother John. A lot of people don't really understand just how important all this is. Come on. On that first day when I got when they got there, they they still had a section of those planes to go through. In fact, all of them. But on the tenth, that's when that uh, the tenth day they were bringing them in. They were still going through those. That tenth day is the same day of the month that Jesus showed up on the donkey. That's so good. Same exact day. Same day. On the fourteenth, when they killed the lamb, that's synonymous with the crucifixion of Jesus. And they brought it in, and they ate it all. The blood from it's what they put over the doorpost and the lintel. Blood of Jesus. On the 17th day, they come up out of the Red Sea on the other side. On the 17th day, Jesus come out of the tomb. <laughs> That's so good. Ooh, boy. That's, that, you know, God is so on purpose. He's so on purpose. Somebody else. Two more words I want to give you. Then we're going to pray. If all minds are satisfied. We think about new and we find the word neos. It, it's a, it means to refresh or youthful. It's like when we get an, I started out with a 1951 Ford with a slant V8. And uh, yeah, it was a, one of those you almost would have to go outside and crank it, right? And uh, so we advanced and I began to, my, Next car was a 1967 Camaro with an 8-track cassette player. 8-track. I still got some of those 8-tracks. They still work. <laughs> the Eagles and all that other stuff, you know, that I don't listen to anymore. But um, had bucket seats. We were dating, and I built, I made a, my da- had my dad. He did, I didn't do upholstery at the time. I made him, I, I made, he made a pad for her to sit close to me because of bucket seats. So the next car was a 1972 Dodge Charger with shackles on the back. Um, It advanced and we got a newer model. We got a 1982 Chevelle Supersport with a 454. It had seats. You flip this lever and you you didn't have to slide out. You just swivel around and step out of the car. It would burn rubber as far as you could hold the gas. And I didn't want to burn my tires up, but I tried it a few times. And, but, but you understand, that car had a cassette player. 
Now we have CDs. This is NEOS. This is a newer model. Right. (laughs) Digital now. Well, complete with GPS. Now, when you look at new in the scripture, in Hebrews 8, 8 especially, he said, I'm going to give you a new covenant. That's not NEOS. That's not a new improved model. It's kainos. It means new in kind. You never had, it's a new way of transportation. It it means unprecedented. I'm going to give you an unprecedented covenant. I'm going to pull you in. Now, when you remember when they ate the lamb and the, the lamb was in them? When Jesus offered them the, they, they probably ate lamb at the Last Supper, but Jesus gives them the bread. Here's a revelation. He said, This is my body. I'm giving it to you. Broken for you, but I'm giving it to you. Remember, he tells them in John 6 eat my flesh and drink my blood. Boy, they. Most of them, did. there's a lot of them that left because of that. But Jesus takes the cup and said, this is the blood of my blood in the new covenant, the kainos. Drink it and remember, I'm giving myself. That's what covenant is. It's not contract. Covenant is totally giving yourself. So Jesus has totally given himself. So, Father, we thank you. We're so grateful. We ask you, Lord, to continue to unravel every mindset in our lives, every thought that would be a hindrance to you having right of way. Lord, deliver us from every seed. Every, we know that we're the garden of God, so let the seeds of heaven that's planted in our lives bring forth fruit to glorify you in the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray, Lord, that you'll cover us and keep us, protect us and keep our spirit right. We're in covenant with you and we thank you that as Abraham was blessed, so are we. We're blessed with faithful Abraham. So we receive that in the name of Jesus. And we love you and we praise you. And everybody said, amen. God bless you.